change is inevitable and can often be chaotic. However, when it's fully organized, change can be dynamic, powerful, and progressive. The Organizing for Change podcast will help you move from a spectator to a difference maker and will assist you in bringing positive change to your community, your city, and perhaps of most importance, you. Hosted by Amanda Decker, Drug-Free Communities Substance Use Prevention Coordinator, mom to many, entrepreneur, and fan of great conversation, Organizing for Change is heard in over 40 countries and every state in the USA. We are delighted that you've joined us today, because after all, we do this for you, and that will never change. Here's Amanda. Welcome to Episode 38 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. If you'd like to be an insider for the Organizing for Change podcast, be sure to join our email list. You'll be the first to know about upcoming episodes and you will get a summary after each episode with links to anything we've talked about emailed right to your inbox. Just click on the link in the notes to join our community today. Remember when you participated in the Substance Abuse Prevention Skills Training and thought, wouldn't it be fun to deliver this training myself? Well, now's your chance. Join Prevention Solutions at EDC for their virtual training of trainers, Substance Abuse Prevention Skills Training on February 24th through 28th, 11 a.m. through 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, plus two afternoons from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This intensive five-day training of trainers prepares participants to deliver the SAPs independently. Participation includes 18 hours of interactive online learning, including a review of all training content and 10 group learning activities. Participants will also receive access to the latest 2018 SAPs and Trainer of Trainer materials. For more information, contact Prevention Solutions at EDC at psonline.edc.org. Again, that's psonline.edc.org. Today's guest is the Reverend Mariama White-Hammond. Reverend Mariama is an advocate for ecological and social justice youth engagement, and spirit-filled organizing. The Reverend is the founding pastor of New Roots AME Church in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and is active in secular and interfaith justice efforts. In particular, she uses an intersectional lens in her ecological work, challenging folks to see the connections between immigration and climate change, or the relationship between energy policy and economic justice. She speaks throughout the country and was the MC for both the 2017 Boston Women's March and Boston People's Climate Mobilization. She's received numerous awards, including the Barr Fellowship in 2009, the Celtics Heroes Among Us, the Roxbury Founders Day Award, and the Boston NAACP Image Award. I know this episode is going to challenge and inspire you. Without further ado, my interview 
were the Reverend Mariama. Uh, so for the listeners out there, uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us who are you and what do you do and just who, who is uh, the Reverend and, and how did you get to be where you are today? Yeah, so um, I am a pastor and um, a, a policy person and an activist, um, and uh, I think in my in my um, denomination and tradition that is not a rarity. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of pastors serve in multiple roles, uh, but I I do recognize people are like, really, what do you, how does that all come together? Um, a lot of I do my work on a lot of different things. Um, because for me, they're all connected to the idea that we need to be a community and society that does a much better job of taking care of each other, of being yeah. there for each other, of creating the kind of world that we want to live in. I don't think we have to just accept things as they are. I think we should ask the question, how do we really want things to be and how do we move there? And so I try to uh, create spaces where we ask that question. Um, at church on Sunday, we ask it from a spiritual perspective and with each other. Um, but at the state house, I ask, you know, how do we create laws that align with what uh, the best of who we are? Um, and sometimes you got to take to the streets and push those those things um, and really uh, raise people's consciousness and raise the bar of of what we're called to as as a society. So um, I do my work in a lot of different ways. Um, and uh, I think in some ways I've been this person since I was a kid, yeah. um, but uh, I'm 40 now and I've had a few years to let those things uh, evolve and move in different directions and come to a greater understanding of what my particular purpose is on the earth. Um, and uh, that question of what I do is always like a little complicated because I, mm-hmm. I do a lot of things that seem different uh, uh, people go, how do you fit it all in? But for me, it's all deeply connected. Um, dealing with issues of homelessness and dealing with issues of climate change and uh, weighing in on immigration, they're not disconnected to me. They're all about how we want to be with each other um, and and how we create the kind of society that we want to live in. So when you say they're all connected, can you give me some examples or some ideas of what it, what do you mean by these things are all connected? Well, as an example, um, I gave the example of climate change. Well, climate change is affecting a lot of folks in Central America. It's making communities that have been farming for generations um, experience droughts that, that bankrupt families, that bankrupt whole communities. And when you can't do what you've been doing, you know, for you know, centuries, you got to find a way to feed your family. And so, unfortunately, many people are um, leaving the communities they've been in for, you know, ever since they can remember and coming to the United States because they can't afford to feed their family. So there's a relationship between climate change and the drought that that, that folks are experiencing and the number of people showing up at the border. Um, You know, we look at the opioid crisis and... Um, you know, this that is a direct result of some of our health care policies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a direct result of communities in which more and more people feel isolated. They right. don't feel like they have someone to go to. And when you feel, like, overwhelmed by life and you don't feel like you can talk to somebody, sometimes you end up taking a substance um, that you think will offer you some relief. So uh, it, we sometimes tend to look at things in 
separate category. Sure. But there's deep connections between these things. Um, and so I do, I want to talk about what yeah. can we be doing? I'm not anti-technology. No. But what can we be doing to make sure that everybody has a real person that they feel that they can talk to, right. not just text with, but sit with, who will give them up the hug that they need to work through it? Um, how do we make sure that everybody has access to mental health support mm-hmm. so they don't have to turn to a substance? These are the kinds of questions we need to be asking, and we only ask them when we see the relationship between the things, and then we start unifying our efforts rather than having this group over there fighting for mental health and this group over here fighting for recovery services and this group over here doing, you know, just say no for high school students, right? What if all those groups were coming together recognizing there's a deep interrelationship between the things that they're working on? Um, And uh, that's what I hope we'll do. And I think it's actually going to make us much more effective. Right. When, when we're unifying our efforts rather than just trying to take one sliver of, of the issue and go hard on that. Um, so I, I think this is not just from a um, love and uh, warmth perspective. Of course, I'm a pastor. So yeah, I'm going right. to say, let's come together. Let's, <laughs> but I also think we're going to be far more effective that way. Um, and that's a lot of the work that I try to do is to, to sort of convince people that we will be stronger together and will actually be more effective um, working on things when we see those connections, lean into them and, and figure out, is there something we could promote and come up with that could address three different things all at the same time? Mm-hmm. I think that's a stronger solution than something that only addresses one. Why do you think that people don't naturally do that? Is it just that they don't see it? Like, what, what is the reason that we don't just naturally kind of think like that? Yeah, I mean, I think there is some piece of it that's a little human. Like sometimes we can get so caught up in our own world, mm-hmm. right, that we sometimes can have blinders to what's around us. I think that's one thing. I also think that um, a little bit of the way we teach people in schools mm-hmm. and in our communities is to break everything down right. and not always to see the connection. I mean, one of the things I say at a lot of, uh, when, when you colleges and universities bring me is that, you know, we have this idea that we should do interdisciplinary work, but then we set up structures mm-hmm. that don't allow us to. You go to science class, you go to history class, you go to English class. Right. Very rarely do you get to say, you know what, what's the history of the way this science has interacted to get, get us to this point, right? Mm-hmm. And then, could we write about that in a powerful way through poetry or uh, fiction in a way that reaches people about this mm-hmm. issue? What if we started creating spaces where we actually were cultivating more connectional-based thinking, more interdisciplinary mm-hmm. thinking from the very beginning? And instead, unfortunately, I think we in, in our you know, education system literally teach people to break those things apart. I, don't, I, don't, I think our children often can see it. I mm-hmm. think that's why young people are playing such an important role. For me, again, in, in the climate movement, young people are rock stars right now, really calling out that there's a, there's a hypocrisy to the way that we're behaving on this mm-hmm. issue. This doesn't make sense. 
And I think in some ways it's because we haven't sort of like knocked that sense of connection out of them. Yeah. They see it and there's some piece of us um, that, that knows those connections are there. If we just create space for people to say, okay, well, how do you think, what's the root cause of that? What do you think that's connected to? Let's probe your own story. Because mm-hmm. in your story, a lot of those connections are present. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's some ways we need to shift the way we do education, the way we do, you know, health and intervention. You know, what if we were really more focused on integrated wellness, right? There's, there's ways that we could shift our structures and shift our approaches to help cultivate what I think is already partially in us, in this, this ability to see those connections. I love it. Two of the things that you just talked about that really sparked my interest is one you talked about working with young people and just helping them get organized. And the other thing you talked about is using the arts when it comes to uh, your messaging. And I'd love to touch on both of those topics. So tell us about just youth empowerment and what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that uh, there's a couple of, I mean, I've worked with young people my whole life. Mm-hmm. I uh, ran a youth arts uh, and social justice program for 14 years coming out of uh, college. So I was a 22-year-old director. Um, and, and sometimes I was only a, a few years older than the young people I was working with. Um, I think that, um, first of all, I love young people of all ages. I have a specific heart for um, high school students. I think there's this beautiful moment where they are transitioning from childhood to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And um, they have the ability, and I'm not saying that they always manifest it, but they do have the ability to bring the best of what um, children bring in terms of imagination while also beginning to move into that uh, independence that you find in adulthood. Mm-hmm. And they need help to navigate that, but it is an empowering and beautiful moment. And what's it's challenging. I think they're asking a lot of questions about who they are mm-hmm. um, and what they're on this planet to do. And that's like a really tough question to navigate. I'm still navigating that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think that if we as a society take seriously the moment that they're in and um, help them to navigate that, they can provide amazing leadership to us because they see things so clearly mm-hmm. and are able to push us on some real they will call you out in a second True. but a lot of times they're raising things that we need to grapple with things that we've allowed to sort of keep going that make no sense we if you really ask us we know they kind of make no sense mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've allowed it to keep going um, I believe that every generation um, should build on the foundation laid for them mm-hmm. to evolve to something better the goal is not actually in my opinion to try to make them smaller versions of ourselves, Mm -hmm. but to recognize what they're able to bring to the conversation and the dialogue that surpasses where we are. I think each new generation has a question to ask. Um, They have a a purpose to pursue, and it's responsibility, in my opinion, of us as older folks both to cultivate that and sometimes just get out of the way. Yeah. so I, I'm not, you know, like I work with, with teenagers. I, you know, I get, I hear, I've been, on, you know, in mm-hmm. dialogues with people who are like, oh my gosh, they're so immature. They're so this and that. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not sugarcoating the fact that the teenagers also have some deep challenges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, 
what I hope to do and what I try to do as a pastor with everybody that I work with is say, how do I cultivate the best of what is happening for you in this moment? Mm -hmm. How do I amplify the beautiful things that you're bringing to this? Because I think when we do that, um, it also helps people to lean into what's best and to often lean away from those other things, right? Like sure. a lot of the reasons I didn't engage in negative behavior as a, as a teenager is I was so focused on the things that brought me purpose that mm-hmm. I cared about. I didn't have time to like drink and use drugs. Yeah. I think a lot of times um, when we see our young people engaged in sort of some behavior that we're, we don't think is the best, it's because they have too much time on their hands. Mm. They're not actually pursuing what they're destined to do. And that's sometimes because we haven't created the space or provided the resources for mm. them to do that. Um, so I think every society should um, honor what is the best of what our young people have to offer. Um, and when we cultivate that, when we encourage them to that, and when we call them to a higher standard and say, no, you have a responsibility mm-hmm. to to manifest who you are in this moment, to call us out, to keep us honest. Yeah. Do that work. When you encourage them to do that work, you're also gonna inadvertently discourage them from the other things that um, are not aligned with that purpose. Um, so yeah. I love young people and I feel like being around them, listening to them, um, and sometimes being challenged by them mm-hmm. helps me to grow. Um, and and it's part of our cycle of life. I'm 40. I'm supposed to be reaching back and supporting 30-year-olds and 20-year-olds and, you know, 10-year-olds. And, and that's what humans are supposed to do as you progress forward. You are constantly asking, how am I pouring into supporting, encouraging those folks who are behind me? Um, and I just, I wish more adults saw that as, our purpose because then I think our young people would do even more than what they're already doing. It's perfect because you know the studies that show when you have um, young people they cite that if they had just one adult, one caring adult that believed in them that it would just reduce their um, chance, their risk of using drugs or alcohol significantly. And I was just thinking about just the passion that you have. Like, young people know that you believe in them. It's not just something that you say. I read some of the work that you've done, and just one of the things that just really stuck out to me is uh, you believed in it so much. At one time, you gave blood to raise $150 so that you could support the work. Like, wow, that's commitment. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that story? Just people believe you because you're not just saying this, but you're actually living it as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was a time when I was running a youth nonprofit and we just didn't have a lot of resources. And I knew that it was my purpose to be there. And so I just found, <laughs> I found whatever ways I could to try uh, to raise money and raise resources. And I just think that, like, at the end of the day, this is our responsibility. This is what you know, our indigenous um, leaders teach us. This is what my ancestors taught me. Like, we all have a period of time on this earth. You can't change the fact that you will be here and that you will go. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just the reality. And so, from the big question is, what are you going to do with your time here? Right. And there are things that you know each of us is called to do ourselves, but all of us are called 
to support other folks. That's just, I mean, that's part of the way it works. You're, you're not going to accomplish what you need to just by yourself. We accomplish what we need to in community. Right. So, you know, for me, again, it's not like, oh, I'm special. Like, this is what my ancestors did for me. Like, I, as a young black woman in America, I went to particularly the church that I grew up in, where people said, you can do whatever. They sacrificed, they gave money, they gave me scholarships, they did things to help me move forward to be who I am today. I would not have gotten here without not just one caring adult, I had multiple caring adults in my life. And it is overwhelmingly sad to me to think that any child enters this world without one adult. Mm -hmm. They should have 10 adults in their lives. And it is sad to me to think that adults are moving through life without the clarity and vision and joy that young people bring into their lives. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, like, I don't know any other way to be because this is what I owe to the ancestors who did it for me and it makes my life better. Like, when I'm not spending, there was a time when I had, like, when I was in seminary and I was spending less time with young people and I was like, oh my goodness, this is not a better life. (laughs) Um, So I think, like, there's a um, reciprocity, like, I hope that I give something to young people. You know, some of them have, you know, later on in life, like, told me that I was influential in their lives. But they've also shaped me. I wouldn't be who I am without the young people in my life um, that have grown me sometimes to good times, mm-hmm. <laughs> bad times. You know, I've, I've had the experience of being there with a young person that doesn't want to live anymore. Yeah. I don't, uh, it's made me want to fight harder. Cause I don't want to live in a world where you're 19 and you don't feel like you want to keep going. Yeah. So I, 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 for me, it's not like a, like a thing I do. It's just, I think it's just how we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And the adults in my life did it right. Um, they supported me. They gave me what I needed. And sometimes they held me accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had to get called out. I was on a punishment a few times in my life. <laughs> um, and, uh, so it's just, you just, you pay it forward. Yeah. Wow. Something else that I love that you do is that you take the arts and you bring it into your organizing and just reading a little bit about uh, some of the skits that your young people have done or just it's a different way of thinking um, to bring the art and the organizing worlds together. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that and why that's such a powerful way to get something accomplished. Well, I think that, like, the work of organizing is always about creating a world that's different than the one that you have, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You think something is wrong, it needs to be stopped. You think something needs to be created. Well, here's a challenge. If you don't have a way of imagining that world, how do you know what you're fighting for? Mm -hmm. And I think the truth is, a lot, too much of our work is fighting against something, Mm -hmm. not enough fighting for something. And so what I th- part of what I think the arts is really about is, is about developing our imagination, helping us to see things more clearly. Yeah. We go through a, a 
the day and we accept a whole bunch of things that are not what they should be and we miss opportunities to create something better. And so we need art and culture to raise our consciousness, to deepen our awareness, to to make us go, wait a second, it just didn't even occur to me that that was possible, mm-hmm. right? Um, so for me, again, like it's not an add-on. If, if what we want to do is create a better world, then we have to spend time imagining what that world looks like. Mm. And sometimes we also have to spend time calling out what is going on right now. Yeah. And sometimes you can, in a seven-minute like flash mob or dance or skit, you can make a whole bunch of statements that you'd have to give people, you know, like a 15-page article that they're never going to read, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think that, like, a lot of the art work that I've done is really about um, breaking through, sometimes in a really short period of time, to shift people's imagination of what is possible. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, with theater, we used a lot of theater in my work at Project Hip Hop. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, like, have you ever just heard a song and it takes you someplace mm-hmm. or it makes you want to cry? It taps in to the deepest places and we need to function from the deepest places a whole lot more. Um, so I, you know, from, you know, it's not like a, I'm, I, I'm always sad when I see like art being cut from mm-hmm. schools or from, you know, programs being cut in our communities because it is one of our most effective ways to get to those deep places. And when we don't have the arts in our lives, it means that often we're just not going to the deep places. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a work I try to do at, at church. Um, and even there, the arts, like music is a huge part of how we, um, in our uh, spiritual community, go to those deep places. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, heart work is absolutely a necessity um, to get us to where we're called to be, um, and I'm I'm not sure there's any more effective tool than the arts to do, help us get to those hard places. One of the things that some of the students uh, in my world are working on, they're working on a project called Photo Voice. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but it's where they are all uh, given just cameras and they are go out into the community and they take so the issue that they wanted to focus on is um just tobacco prevention with a racial justice lens and so a bunch of the students are taking pictures of what it looks like to them what does our community look like to them to go and show our decision makers in our community and i thought it's something that they're really excited about and just when they bring back these pictures it's things that I just, I don't see, you know, I'm, I'm not in their world, um, you know, I'm not 17, I don't have that lens to look at things, so they just, the pictures that they brought back are really eye-opening, I think, to so many members of the community. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've, I don't know who was the first to say that, you know, added to that a picture is worth a thousand mm-hmm. words, but I think it's really true, like, you know, one of the things, that, as an example, um, you know, this whole conversation that people have had around issues of, like, police brutality and Black Lives Matter, like, all of those things that were happening, there hasn't been an increase in, in deaths, mm-hmm. but now we have the ability to, to videotape 
Mm-hmm. And it's opened up a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we still have a long way to go in terms of that conversation, but the truth yeah. is we weren't even talking about it before people started documenting it. Truth. And so, you know, this work of like saying, how can I help you to see what I see? Because you're not in the same spaces mm-hmm. that I am. It's really powerful. And I and again, I, say, I am thankful for the arts, particularly with young people, because I think that... Um, in your high school years, you're coming to this place of learning how to articulate what all of what you're thinking. And sometimes that process of getting there, like I can't tell you how often I, I would hear young people be like, no, that's not what I really mean, as they <laughs> trying to like figure out how to verbalize what it is that was in their heart. But in their art, they are often able to hit the nail right on the head. And so I think that, um, you know, the power of um, sometimes nonverbal communication to say so much and to give voice to people is huge. So I, you know, look forward to seeing what your young people bring forward in pictures. And I hadn't heard it called that, but actually we used to do that um, and with our young people. And we, it was called, you know, what's hot and what's not, right? And mm. they would take a camera out and say, these are the places where, I mean, mm. what we wanted to challenge them to do is see the challenges and to see the beauty too. Mm-hmm. Because I think in our experience, a lot of times in in a uh, community that I worked for, Oxford and Dorchester, people have all negative right. opinions of right. our neighborhood. And, and we wanted to make sure that young people created a space to talk about the challenges because our goal was for them to create art that would move those things. But we also said to them, what is beautiful that people don't see? You know, and I think that um, people are quick to judge and quick to, you know, slap one heading on something. And I I remember one of our young people, for instance, went out and found the one of the books that I had on community. And he was there because um, he was an alcoholic. He would be pretty honest about that. But he talked about being part of the Black Panthers and part of the school breakfast program or the the, the, uh, breakfast program in Boston. He was a piece of history and able to tell them directly like what it meant to, you know, feed kids every morning. This was before the United States government created a school breakfast program. They Mm -hmm. created the breakfast program because the Black Panthers were doing it and they found it embarrassing, (laughs) right? That they were doing it and, 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 you know, government was not they were able to learn this piece of history from this man that many people in our neighborhood thought was just an annoyance and so i think this this importance of you know looking to see beneath the surface looking to highlight those things that are beautiful um portraiture can just give dignity to folks and and somehow tell their story even though their story's not written out there, yeah. right? You know, yeah. so I think um, I, I, I think it's great that you're using um, art as a tool to help young people uh, explore um, and document um, their world and then share share their voice with mm-hmm. other folks. This has been a fascinating conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. <laughs> but um, just, is there anything that we uh, missed that you, that we didn't get to that you want our listeners to know? Well, I just, um, sometimes I, I worry that people come away from conversations and they go, oh, wow, she's so great. And like, I really hope um, 
that folks will recognize that I am where I am by embracing a set of practices, um, by choosing to live my life in the heart space, to say every day, I am not gonna just um, go along to get along with how things are. I think a lot of what I do starts from the place of believing that something better is possible. And I don't think it starts all overnight. It's not like I woke up and I'm like, I wanna change the world. And then I just like, the first thing I did worked. I just need to name that I've had many times where I've come up with what I thought was a great idea and it has totally <laughs> not worked. Um, but I think starting from the place of believing that something better is possible, creating space for yourself every day to open up your heart and to live from your heart, um, and then to connect with other people, connect with people you love, connect with people you barely know. Um, believe that whatever you're called to do will align with what other people are called to do and that together you'll be able to create something better. So that those are just my, like, there's nothing super special about me. Um, it's just that I believe we can do better. I try to create the conditions in my own heart to... Uh, try to do better every day. Not that I succeed every day. I have bad days. <laughs> um, and then I try to connect with other people. And I hope folks will um, do that in whatever community that they're in, on um, whatever cause um, they feel led to work on. Um, but but do, do try to not be so narrow um, in your cause. See who else you can partner with that's moving along um, uh, maybe a slightly different path, but one that is aligned with yours. So that's good. And when people want to know more about you, where should they look for you? Uh, is there a social media uh, platform that you typically yeah, use? Yeah, yeah. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram, Rev Mariama, R E V M A R I A M A. Um, there's a lot of stuff on my church's website, uh, New Roots Church. We're getting ready to do a big project with uh, the book from Octavia Butler, um, who's my favorite sci-fi Afrofuturist writer. Um, and yeah, I you know, and I have I'm on Facebook, <laughs> so I try to I try to let folks know what I'm doing and encourage them to join me and hear what they're doing. So That's yeah. Awesome. We'll link to all those in the show notes. But it's been such a delight to have you on the show. I'm honored uh, to be able to just have this conversation and just hear from you. And uh, I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. And thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, when you have some time, I'd love to see the photos that your young people are working on. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to empower coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring positive change to their communities. To learn more about us or to get the show notes from today's episode emailed to your inbox, log on to our website. We hope you are inspired by today's show and keep up the great work. See you next time.